Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this morning as we continue our series in Peter's first letter to the suffering Christians in modern day Turkey. The title of the series that we've been preaching since January is Living as Suffering Saints in Light of God's Promised Glory. And today's message is entitled Suffering 101, Suffering 101. Now it's graduation season, so I just like want to take a moment on behalf of Palm Vista to acknowledge every graduate here. If you are graduating from high school or college, whether undergraduate graduate or graduate degree this spring, would you please stand right now so we can just say thank you and congratulate you. Stand to your feet. If you're a graduate, please stand. Please stand. All right. Church, let's thank God for these. All right. You may be seated. Well, those of you who are graduating from college are well aware of something called a course syllabus. You know what a syllabus is, right? Normally you get those at the beginning of every course, whether online or you get it in paper. And, and, and a course syllabus is going to give you some basic information up on the screen. Here's the basic information of a course syllabus. Number one, the course title. So you make sure you're in the right course, right? Number two, the instructor. Number three, the required textbooks. You can go spend all your money on textbooks, an enormous amount of money. How can a textbook cost $85.22 and it's like this thin, you know? Because they made like 10 of them, you know, and you're buying one of the 10 for the course that you have to take. Uh, Then the purpose of the course. All right, this course is what? This is the purpose of the course. And finally, there's going to be some guiding questions. To varying degrees, you're going to have some questions that will be answered in the course, and these questions really kind of drive the content of the course. Well, for this morning's class, which is entitled Suffering 101, we have a course syllabus. That's right. Up on the screen, the title of the course, the title of this message this morning is Suffering 101, and the instructor is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's good. The instructor for this course isn't just someone that wrote a book about it, isn't just someone that's done research about suffering. He is the one who has suffered more than any human being on earth has ever suffered. Aren't you glad about that? The one that's going to teach us about suffering isn't just pointing the way, he's leading the way. Jesus is our instructor this morning. What's the required textbook? Well, it's the Bible, but specifically this morning, and I'd like you to turn there, it's 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. This is the required text this morning. And what is the course purpose? You could think of this as a propositional statement, a thematic statement for the sermon this morning. Here it is. The course purpose is this. Learn to suffer. Learn to suffer from Christ who suffered for us. Now, some of you are saying, like, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this course, Suffering 101. What are you doing? But you know, when you get your courses for the beginning of the semester, you're a freshman, there's a couple of required courses on there. You don't have a choice. You want to graduate from this school? You're signing up for this one. You're going, oh, I didn't sign up for it, but here we are, right? But in one sense, don't we all suffer? Unless you're the one exception of the seven billion human beings on earth. I think all of us suffer. So in a sense, even though you don't want this course, don't you need it? Don't we, don't we need to learn how to suffer? I mean, some of you may be here this morning and, and you're suffering, much like the Christians in the first century in Turkey were suffering. By the way, Peter is writing to Christians in modern-day Turkey around 63, 64 AD. These, these Christians weren't suffering yet 
persecution, imprisonment, or, or violence to their persons. No, not yet. What they were suffering, though, was estrangement from their friends because Christ had saved them and they no longer were living the pagan, idolatrous, debaucherous, drunken, licentious lives that their buddies, their friends were living. So they were suffering in that sense. They were suffering as we do because we're Christians and we believe certain things about marriage or when life begins. That's how they were suffering. And some of you are suffering that way. Listen, some of you this morning are suffering the the breakup of relationships because of your faith. Some of you are suffering emotional strain. Some are here suffering anxiety about the future. You're racked with anxiety about what does the future hold? And some of you are here suffering regret about the past. You live in regret. Others of you are suffering excruciating pain. I, I, I know with my dear mother, I know with Corey's mom, and probably for many of the elderly parents represented here, uh, age and time has not been kind. They are suffering to the point of having to be hospitalized to help with the pain excruciating bodily, physical pain. Some of you may be in that right now as you're seated here in your seat. Some of you may be suffering the threat of someone wanting to destroy you. You may have a beef with someone or someone has a beef with you and online they are killing you. They are ruining your reputation. They are publishing things about you, whether true or untrue. They're they're slandering you. Maybe at work, they're trying to torpedo your career. They're trying to say things about you that aren't true or make you look bad so that you lose your job. Or they're treating you unfairly. You're suffering the threat of financial ruin. And, And before we get into this course taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you are not alone in your suffering. This is, the, this is the, the point of this text. Jesus is our instructor, and he has suffered. I may not know what you're going through right now, but he does. And, and when he left this earth, after having suffered, he said, I will never abandon you. If you're my people, my elect, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to send someone God, the Holy Spirit, who will be a comforter to you. Now, there's many things the Holy Spirit does, but one of them is to comfort us. And my prayer for you this morning is, first of all, I want to acknowledge your pain. You're hurting. You may be disillusioned in your marriage. You're hurting concerning your parents, if you're a child with parents that are unbelievers, or with your children, if you're a parent with children that are either unbelievers or acting like unbelievers. I want to acknowledge your pain. God knows what you're going through, but he's here with you. And I want to pray in a moment. And I want to pray that God, the Holy Spirit, not just give us understanding of what this course is all about. I mean, the, the, basically the guiding questions that are going to drive this course, that drive this text, are why do I suffer? How do I suffer? And how do I interpret my suffering? That's the, the bulk, the content of this sermon. But more than just intellectual knowledge, I pray God, the Holy Spirit, comfort you and you have a sense of of his presence with you and that's my prayer this morning that god the holy spirit would be here he is here but you would sense him and he would give you understanding and comfort so to that end before we read first peter 4 1 to 6 let's pray 
Lord, I stand in need of your comfort today. The last couple of days and weeks, I have felt like the waves of suffering and the temptation to give in to them. Most of it emotional, most of it just in my thoughts. Been overwhelming. Um, And I'm sure there are many here in this building, seated right now, who feel the same. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us, that you would instruct us, that you would build your church in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who came to suffer for us. Amen. Let's read 1 Peter 4, 1-6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Four, this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Jesus begins his class on suffering by reminding us that he suffered for us. Point one, Jesus suffered for us. Our text begins with the word therefore, since therefore, look at it in verse one. That word's very important because it it connects our text to the text that Corey preached last week, 318 to 22, and most specifically 318. Look at it with me on the screen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So let's take the three questions that drive our text. And let's answer those three questions for Jesus before we move to answering them for ourselves. Why did Christ suffer for us? He suffered for us. Look at the text there, 318. To bring us to God. How did Christ suffer for us? Again, 318 tells us he suffered for us once for sin on the cross. He died on the cross for us. He suffered as the righteous one, the only one that deserved God's favor. The only righteous one suffered as unrighteous one. He became sin so that we, the sinners, the unrighteous, could be made righteous. And by the way, if you're here this morning as a guest and you're not a Christian, thank you so much for coming. You may be here as a friend of one of the graduates. We want to honor you and we thank you. In no way do I want to disrespect you at all. This may be new for you, or it may be something you know but have not acknowledged or believed or put your faith in Christ. I just want you to know, right here, what I'm sharing with you right now is the core of our Christian faith. It's the core of it. So Christ suffered once for sin on the cross. He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. He was put to death in the flesh. Do you see that in 3.18? All that means is he died physically. He really did die physically. But he didn't stay dead. 
On the third day, as we hear in 3.18 at the last line, he was raised or made alive in the Spirit. To be made alive in the Spirit, as Corey explained last week, is just another way of saying he was resurrected from the dead. Made alive in the Spirit, remember that phrase, means to be resurrected from the dead. Now, how did Christ interpret his suffering? That's the third of our three questions. We don't have explicit data in this text, but when we take this text that ends with his resurrection and we bring in other texts that inform it, we understand that he suffered through the eyes of faith and he saw his suffering as a necessary prelude to glory. See, we know that Jesus endured the shame and suffering of the cross, looking beyond the shame to the joy on the other side, the resurrection, to the glory that he now experiences at the right hand of the Father. For Jesus rose from the dead, and then Jesus ascended into heaven, and he is in glory, and he is ruling and reigning. So we've got to connect these two sections as our author does. And here's how we connect them. Tom Schreiner in his commentary says the following on the screen. The connection between the two sections is this. Since Christ's suffering is the pathway to glory, believers should also prepare themselves to suffer. So prepare yourself to suffer. Prepare yourself to be deployed in suffering. Knowing that suffering is the prelude to an eschatological reward. That word eschatological is just a fancy word for the end times. End times. So we are we're going to suffer now, but at the end we're going to have glory and joy and amazing things which will dwarf in comparison the suffering we currently have. Here it is. The main point of the verse is that believers are to arm themselves with the intention to suffer. Point two. We learn to suffer from Christ. Christ is arming us. He's teaching us in the vernacular of education. He's equipping us in the vernacular of modern-day discipleship words. But the vernacular God uses here, the word God uses here is arm. This word arm is an interesting word. It is a military term. The Greek word that's translated arm here is a military term. And I believe God put it here and had Peter use that Greek word here because he's wanting to bring to our attention the comparison that we see throughout Scripture between the Christian life and the life of a soldier. Between the Christian life and the life of a soldier. We just celebrated Memorial Day last Monday. And, and I want you to know that in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, there's a comparison of the Christian life to the life of a soldier. One such text is on the screen, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You then, this is now Paul writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. We heard from Paul earlier in the text Corey read for the deacons. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love that he begins with the gospel. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love the fact that it's about discipleship and making disciples with the gospel. But now here's the necessary condition. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. How do we arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had? That's the imperative here. If you look at the text, that's the command. 
If you go back to verse 1 of 1 Peter 4, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That's the one command here. How do we do that? We do that by understanding that we must see the Christian life as compared to the life of a soldier. Friends, it is not a life of comfort and ease, but it's a challenging life of discipline marked by suffering. But suffering with a purpose, suffering with the long-term view of glory on the other side of the battle, glory on the other side of the suffering, as Jesus saw it. Now, I know a little bit about military uh, suffering, though I do not know the suffering of war, nor of uh, having a friend, a close friend that died in combat. I mean, the closest that I probably ever got to that was in 1976 when I was a sophomore at the University of Florida. I was an ROTC cadet, and I remember as we reported for duty that fall, we we were asked to come to a memorial service that took place in the Quadrangle. What had happened is in August of 1976, a University of Florida graduate, Lieutenant Mark Barrett, ROTC graduate, uh, had been doing his job in uh, Korea in the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, and the North Koreans killed him along with another officer. And so we came back to school with that news, and that that fall we had a memorial service, and I'll never forget that memorial service. So I'm standing at attention. Um, It's a very sad moment. Taps are being played. I don't know if you know what taps are, but it's the bugle call at military funerals. It's very somber. Very somber. If 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 you think of it in your head, it's very slow in cadence. Dun, dun, dun. One... Man playing the bugle, very slow. You could hear a pin drop. Hundreds and hundreds of people at attention. Until you heard this small cry. And it was Lieutenant Barrett's young widow. And as the the, the bugler continued to play, her cry turned into a wail. And, And I'll never forget that moment, ever. If you've ever been in a military funeral and heard that, That one you can't ever forget. The pain of her suffering as her husband gave his life to win, really, our freedom, to to maintain, to protect our freedom. That's as close as I've gotten to the suffering of death or war. But I do know a little bit of the suffering of training. I know the suffering of running five miles every day so that my legs can be strong enough that when I jump out of the plane with a parachute on, uh, and hit the ground with about 60 or 70 pounds of equipment. I don't break a leg, but I can then get up and move on to my mission. You know, I know the suffering of doing hundreds and hundreds of push-ups. Some of us are more gifted in that than others. Us chunky boys aren't as gifted in that. <laughs> but why? So my arms can be strong enough so when I jump out of that plane, I can pull on the risers, I can, I can direct the parachute so I can fulfill the mission. The, the suffering of, of ice-cold nights in Germany, <laughs> on maneuvers for a Florida boy that didn't see snow till he was 20. <laughs> yeah, the worst about that is when you have to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. It's not good. Trust me. Don't go there, but it's not good. <laughs> uh, not eating, not sleeping, hours and hours on maneuvers, being the officer of the watch, having to make sure the troops are ready. Lots of suffering. Why? Because there was a mission. There was glory on the other side of that. Back then, it was to protect the free world from the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. 
Hundreds of thousands of troops lined up against each other in the late 70s and early 80s. Now it's a different mission. It's more special operations. So, but, but it's that, that's the picture of the Christian life. We are not on a cruise ship. We are, we are on a battleship. This isn't a cruise with a little Mai Tai in our hands, sunning ourselves on the deck. And see, I think what the Lord is saying here is, I want to I want to arm you with this. I want to teach you about this from the one who suffered more than anyone else so that you're not offended by your suffering. Because you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But the one who suffered the most is there with you. You, you will have his comfort. All right, so now it gets to our first question that we want to answer here. Why do I suffer? Why do I suffer? Why do I suffer? Well, in verse 2, we see why we suffer. God makes it very clear in verse 2 that there are two sides, two warring factions here, two kingdoms here. The kingdom of man, which is expressed in human passions, or the kingdom of God, which is expressed in the will of God. Look at it with me. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, that just means as a human being on earth, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Do you want to know why you suffer? Because God has saved you, and now suddenly there's a battle. You were just walking down a street, minding your own business, sinning like crazy, enjoying living in the passions of the human flesh. We're all good at that. And suddenly God saved you. Or, or did he? Because I would maintain to you, if you're not suffering... I would, I'd want to have a conversation with you about that. Because the world and its kingdom tells us one thing, and even our own fleshly desires tell us one thing, but God and His will tells us another. So the suffering that most of us experience is simply this. I want to get so mad right now, I could wring the neck of that person, fill in the blank. But the suffering comes in battling that and saying, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Or I want to lust so badly on that image on the computer. Or I, I, I want to be so greedy right now. And I want to make that person look bad so I look good, so I get the promotion. That's most of the suffering that we go through. But there's more. There's more suffering. There's the suffering of saying, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand for the righteousness of God in Christ. And the moment we do that, that's why we suffer. We suffer because we're saved. We suffer because we stand with the Savior. That's the why you suffer. It's indiscriminate. It is God's will. And he will give you grace. Now, how do I suffer? Verses 3 and 4 tell us how we suffer. Look at it with me. Verse 3, for the time is past. Suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's just simply a list of sins and types of sins. You find them all in the New Testament. It's just the world. And he's saying, look, you used to do that. Time's over for that. You've now identified with Christ, and you now have said, my life is centered not on me, but it's centered on Christ. I've broken with the life of sin. I am now passionate about God's way. By the way, go back to verse 2 at the end. There's something very interesting there. Verse 1, sorry, where it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
All that simply means is this, not sinless perfection, but that you've broken with a life of sin and you say, I no longer want to live for a life of sin, but I want to live for the will of God. And that's what it means by the one who has died has ceased from sin. It's not sinless perfection. It's just saying, I'm no longer identifying with that lifestyle. I'm now identifying with this lifestyle. God has called me. And what he's saying here in verse Three, he's saying, you've done that. The time has passed for that. That's not who you are anymore. Therefore, don't do it anymore. All those sins just describe human excess. And then verse 4, how do we suffer? Here's how you suffer. With respect to this, the old lifestyle, they, the ones you used to do the old lifestyle with, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So they're surprised that, hey, Al's no longer going clubbing with us. When our one goal is to see how drunk we can get and whatever else we can enjoy of the passions of the flesh. Al's not telling that joke. Al's not participating in that scam, whatever it might be for you. And they get their surprise, but their surprise then turns into slander. That's what it means there. They malign you. So most of us are suffering. We're suffering this rejection. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone who, who you talk about Christ with and they suddenly reject you. That's a suffering. Maybe you suffer at work. Maybe you stand up for, for certain things and certain biblical truths and you may lose your job or, or be underemployed or just not get promoted. Here's the point. How are you suffering today, my friend? And where are you tempted to lay down your arms and say, I surrender? I've been fighting for a year and a half in a foxhole with little food, little water. It's cold. It's the dead of winter. And I'm just tired of fighting. I'm tired of saying no to that impulse to give in to that lust. I'm tired of saying no to the desire to just be angry with people and just tell them what I really think about them. By the way, that's the one I'm wrestling with presently. I'm weary, man. I'm not a victim. I'm just being honest with you. And there's a temptation for me to just want to lay my rifle down. Say, you know what? If we give up, we'll get three hots and a cot. We'll be in the enemy camp, but where are you tempted to do that? Where am I tempted to do that? To just compromise. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. No mas. I don't want to fight anymore. I keep failing. This is where God the Holy Spirit comes, I pray. And he, he tells you, I'm, I'm patient with you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because then the third question, how do I interpret my suffering? Oh, friends, this is the burden. The way we interpret our suffering is through the lens of eternity. Look at verses 5 and 6. Let me read them with you. But they, the ones who are slandering you and mocking you and ridiculing you and giving you a hard time and telling you you're such an idiot because you're following Christ and I can't believe you didn't take that promotion. And you do what? You tithe and you give what? Your time to the church? No, 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 no. You're an idiot. Or worse. Verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The promise in verses 5 and 6 is this, that one day God will return, Jesus will return, and he will settle all accounts in our favor. Not because of our righteousness, no. Remember 3.18, because of his righteousness. 
And no pleasure you give into today can even touch the glories of tomorrow in Christ. None. I know it's hard. Listen, this is part of the deceitfulness of sin. It makes sin look good, doesn't it? That illicit affair, if you're married. That internet sight. It it, it feels, it can feel good. Just letting someone have it. Just giving them a piece of your mind. It can just feel good. It's like a release. But, oh, it's not, and it's nothing compared to the glories to come. And isn't that the fight of faith here? This is what we need to do with one another. This is how we arm ourselves with the same thinking of Christ, that we have an intent. Brothers and sisters, this is what we do with one another. This is the appeal of the message. Corey alluded to it earlier. We need to speak it to one another. We need to sing it to one another. In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, because I need to hear you sing, all I have is Christ. You need to hear it preached, yes, but then we need to gather together this Wednesday night. We need to take this verse apart. We need to say, how, how are you suffering? How am I suffering? How am I tempted to compromise? How are you? Let's encourage one another. Safe places and community groups where we can apply this in the battlefields of our lives. Some this morning... Look, you just need to repent and believe. God, by his grace, would transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and his son. But most of us this morning, we're weary, we're maybe even afraid of suffering, we're tired of suffering, we have given up, or we're thinking tonight to give up. You know, tonight, I haven't done that for a while. I haven't gotten high for a while. Tonight, I'm going to go get high. I haven't looked at pornography on the computer for a while. Tonight I'm going to do it. Maybe that's floating through your head right now. You know what? I'm finally going to call that person and just let them have it. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, Let's arm ourselves with the intent to suffer as the Lord has suffered. And God is here. We're here together. He will comfort us. He will give us grace. If you're weary, listen, in a moment, we're, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And, and I would just say, first of all, if you need to repent and believe, we're going to have some folks here, community group leaders and a few others. Can you just come up here uh, when we start singing? We just want to pray with you. But, you know, you just may, may need prayer like, help me. I'm weak here. I'm weak. We're here. We want to pray. So let's bow our heads and pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace this morning. Lord, I pray that as we sing the truths of this song, of your scripture, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. How many of us have gone up to the edge of the grave, led there by this sin that promised so much and delivered nothing but pain and sorrow and brokenness. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. That is our testimony, Lord. And if there are some right now who are running their hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, would you, Lord, in your mercy, grab them, redeem them. Lord, for those that are weary, weary of fighting, Lord, would you minister to them? Whether it's in the just in the seats right here praying for one another or if they come forward. Father, minister now to your people.